I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, erasing all personal debt, it's Andy Greenwald! Don't ever say I didn't do something for you people. <laughs> or for you, my friend. That's right, the man. Get I my FICO do. up. Or just don't even get it up. Just Wipe it out. <laughs> you gotta, gotta get your FICO score swole, son. That's what this year's all about. <laughs> Trying to buy these buy these london properties with that low low pound should we should we make this just a fully economy based podcast like do you think there's a good look for us well it's about to be for the next few weeks because we're going to talk about mr robot yes exciting i was just reading a tech insider blog post about how the economics of mr robot are a little bit flawed and andy we're recording this on a wednesday uh you are will be tonight this evening mr robot premieres with a two-part episode the first episode, or the first part of this episode, uh, was leaked. We addressed that on Monday uh, on Twitter and Snapchat and, and other social media platforms. And then after the episode this evening, I'll let you fill me in on the details, you are hosting Hacking Robot on the USA mm-hmm. Network, live on television, on basic cable. It's true. How did, how did we get here? Um, <laughs> I'm still in, a, all, in an office with Isabella. You're the one who's... You're on the same network as, uh, as um, I don't know. Yes, have you ever watched the network? <laughs> <laughs> you're on the you're on the Burn Notice channel, dog. That's right. What is Burn Notice? No, and I said, how did we get here? It's like 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 my family rolls with me, right? Like of like course, the whole squad makes it when one of us makes it. The boat the boat rises um, with the tide. I'm the little boat. <laughs> you're the little boat little yachty yeah, you're the me. little boat look I, I i worry a little bit chris that mm-hmm. we are tempting fate because as you said we are recording this on wednesday this will be posted on thursday yeah so it does seem like we're we're sort of thumbing our noses at uh at chaos because a live broadcast is uh any any anything could possibly happen you know at this point, when you people are listening to this, my decision to take the money I was paid to do this show in duffel bags, dump it on the ground of the studio, <laughs> and light it on fire in front of a live studio audience may have backfired. It may not have been the sort of you know zeitgeist grabbing stunt that I had intended it to be. But you know, who's to say? Future and, future people, please let me know. And when I when I hacked into USA's feed wearing a mask, yeah, and I erased Andy's uh, personal debt. I thought that was going to go over a lot better than it did. <laughs> I, frankly, as someone who was in the midst of moving across the country, I deeply appreciated it. I thought that was true friendship. Um, no, I mean, I, I hope people... Boy, this sounds so weird. Like, I hope people dug the show. I think, it's, I think it's been a lot of fun. It's been fun doing it. You know, you, you saw on Twitter, I got a binder, and I yeah, feel like... No, you, you're going to you do know, great. You're going to do great. And it also looks fine. like you guys could launch a spaceship from the control room of what you've got there, so... Good luck with that. <laughs> There's a lot of lot of lot of fireworks, but yeah. but binders are very reassuring. I think that's the most important takeaway here. It's true. Um, it's true. Yeah, so we, as you said, we talked on Monday. I mean, just ask Mitt Romney about that. That pretty much sealed up the election for him. He won the presidency. <laughs> um, we talked the other day about the decision to to unleash the first hour on an unsuspecting Snapchat populace. Um, you know, they really would have moneyed moneyed up the show if they had released it as like a special um pokemon like you know just 
yeah. you capture you capture like someone in that mask and yeah. then the whole episode plays and by the if way, that is the first and last time we're going to reference that scourge of humanity on this podcast. Yeah, if you look, if you look underneath the bull on Wall Street, you'll find the episode of of, of uh, you'll find the entire season of Mister Robot. That you can also find a very rare Pokemon called Testiculo, which is uh, he's, he's he's a funny little. You get one more joke, um, and, then, and then we we're never talking about this again. You're right. It, it honestly, this thing is so awful and terrifying, but it does seem like viral marketing for Mister Robot, but. So anyway, we, we, we mentioned, we talked about the phenomenon of the first episode being released, but we didn't talk about the first episode itself because right. people hadn't seen the full two parts of it. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's kick off that conversation. What do you, what do you, what do you got? I'm going to start with a criticism. Ooh. Now, I know that you are recording Hacking Robot with Sam Esmail, and you guys, obviously, because of that, have a, an outstanding, an existing relationship. So I don't really mean to get in the mm. way of that. I don't want to get in between the two of you. But I do want to say something to Sam, if you're listening. You got to get a pickup basketball consultant. (laughs) Okay? You got to get someone in there who understands the fashions and behaviors of people playing pickup basketball. And just even some basic, like, whether or not three dudes all try to grab the ball at once more than like once a game you know and i understand as someone who has worked in tv now albeit largely streaming uh sure sure sure. that there are limitations to the level to the amount of logos you can put on your clothing but Mm -hmm. i don't know that you need to go full old navy when when you're dressing (laughs) your guys First on the all, court, you know, you can have some I, I, like <laughs> washed out shirt that says something university or maybe even like just have a guy with a number on the back so that it looks like they have a tangential relationship to to basketball rather than a 1969 gap ad. I want to say that this is a bold opening parlay <laughs> from you, um, not only because of the fact that you know very well that that Sam Esmail was going to come on our pod at one point in the winter in L.A. solely because, he, and I quote, he said, I'll come if I can meet Chris Ryan. <laughs> so you know he's checking for you and is going to take this very much in his heart box. But not only for that reason, but two, you are a gentleman who recently displayed his pickup basketball Look, I'm not saying skills. I'm good at basketball, but I did wear <laughs> KD's and a Russell Westbrook t-shirt and wore like weird socks which is like what people do and you know like i just I, they, those guys they they there was a lot of shots at the rim and not a lot of makes you know and i just felt like Greg Robinson and Rami Malek are watching this game and and they they're acting like this is the main attraction in the neighborhood and so they come and they're like man you watch the game this game is great and it's like no it's not no. why are 10 people watching this to be to be fair, no, if I there don't. were a I'm pickup just basketball game in uh, here in here in Park Slope, Brooklyn, the quality of play would be similar. That's you know, true. I feel like you not every neighborhood deserves the rucker. Not every neighborhood gets the rucker, no, right? No, we get there the rucker. There is no Fat deserve. Joe team, yeah, crashing the boards near Craig Robinson's house. Um, I thought, by the way, when you were talking about your outfit for your um, bricklaying contest, I'm sorry, three-point shooting contest uh-huh. the other week. Oh, okay, okay, Chuck Person. Thought, <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm a shot coach. I thought you were going to say that you were wearing like a full, remember the Allen Iverson like compression I sock? I had the compression sleeve on. Arm? 
Did you really? Yeah, yeah, they got one for did me. It, did it com- did it compress your whole shot? Like what happened? Yeah, that was the reason why I didn't go. I didn't go 63 for 100. Um, no, and you know what? But I'm joking. No, I, I'm, I'm making these jokes because that's that's really the extent of my criticism for this episode. Um, <laughs> not only was I so happy to have it back, you, you know, obviously, um, it's a, probably the first time. I'm trying to remember the last time a, 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 we had a, a moment on television where it felt like uh, cometh the hour, cometh the show, right? Like that a show kind of met with the tenor of the world in this way when this show i can't remember when the last episode of last season aired but we're coming up on a year since donald trump announced his candidacy for presidency uh you know Mm -hmm. we've had these events over the last course like course of the last 12 months where you're often i think i think lots of people feel the sensation of not being quite sure if they're awake you know what i mean mm-hmm. you know what i mean and into that world comes this show and i think that is sort of the challenge facing sam hesmail right now is creating a show in a world where people probably can't believe what they're seeing in front of them most of the day when they wake up i agree i share those feelings um we talk a lot about how TV shows, especially good TV shows and longer-running TV shows, teach you how to watch them. Um, They create a visual language and a storytelling rhythm that may feel um, uncomfortable or or unfamiliar at first, and then slowly they educate us on what to expect and what's real and what isn't and what to believe and how shots are going to be framed and and what's likely to happen, etc., etc. I wonder if Mr. Robot might be the first show in which the hiatus... The reality hiatus, the, the reality that occurred during the hiatus may have brought people up to a certain speed that maybe they weren't at before. Because the thing that I really loved about this premiere was how deeply it embraced the absurdity. And I know I don't just mean the pickup basketball skills. I mean just the absurdity of Elliot's worldview, of his predicament, of his situation, of his friend's choice in television programs, to the way to the Shakespearean way Philip Price conducts his meeting with cabinet officials, just to the way the shots are framed. I found this whole thing just so wonderfully odd and disorienting and, and actually really sneaky funny at a lot of times. And I found that to be more of a relief than I expected because I kind of want to laugh at the world very often these days, you know, and I think that it it found a rhythm it came back to a world that was ready to meet. Yeah, it wasn't dissimilar sense. from the way that Benioff and Weiss kind of sprinkled in a lot more humor over this course of the Game of Thrones season, almost as if they were saying to themselves, we know where we are in the culture. and We know mm-hmm. how many people are watching and how many people are probably going through these episodes and just weighed down by the repeat horrors that you see in them so we need to like lighten the mood Mm -hmm. a little bit and elliot saying peace to his father (laughs) alter ego uh figment of his imagination or very real other character i mean i still think that that's part of i was very impressed with how they handled the the christian slater stuff this this in this first episode but just him throwing up deuces to him 
took the air out of the balloon and or or actually just loosened the constraints just a little enough to make it like okay i can't i i'm actually like i can't wait for the rest of these episodes it's not a vice on me the the highly stylized nature of the show is very much intentional and i feel like that was something that wasn't totally i think appreciated the first season i mean some of it is heavy-handed but i think it's for the most part aware of when it is heavy-handed and and plays with it i mean that's why the secretary of the treasury has mustard on his face um you know the the six five point nine million dollars is burned in battery park city to phil collins on the soundtrack yeah. um it, that is entertaining stuff and so much happened in these i mean i, I want to call them two hours even though it didn't play as two hours that it it was it's a little bit dazzling especially when you consider the filmmaking which is on such a high level and such a consistent level that like the sound design the way during that smart house hack the the wagner that plays it probably wasn't wagner but the the loud classical music that plays when it suddenly cuts off you know you hear the echo this the space where that that noise was yeah um it, it's on such a high level that you almost it almost hides the fact that the show has changed in a pretty dramatic way and i think it's a very smart pivot as well which is it feels more like an ensemble show yeah this year well um, and i think you're you're we, we ranged much further outside of elliot's head than we had in the past and, and you're right and also i think there's been a tonal shift in the show because when you think about the first season so much of it was a, a almost like a flower opening up or something it was or you know you think you you understand what you're seeing and then you change your angle and it's completely different and there's these beats in these episodes where you think, well, this is if there's a weirdness here, it's probably drug induced. And he's going through mm-hmm. this process of slowly going crazy. But you feel like you have a handle on why he's losing it. And then as you go on and on and on, not only is he I mean, sure, he, you could say he's crazy or you could say that, that his his delusions are, are drug triggered, but reality and fantasy completely merge and when that happens, I think that the interesting thing that he did in this second season so far is he changed the tone of the show. It is a little bit more fabulous. It is a little bit um, more sweeping. There's like a little bit of um, style to his handwriting now where, yeah. you know, like like you're saying, that that scene with Philip in the in the Treasury Department almost plays like a Coen Brothers scene in Barton Fink or yes. or a Pudsucker Proxy where it's very extreme set staging and very extreme line reading. And I feel like the first season was not like that. And I think that we are now living in a world where one person or a group of people could wipe out personal debt. So if that happens, not only do you have to take those things seriously and you have to deal with the ramifications of that, but it changes the way people behave. I think that's a very, very smart reading of how the, how the, how it works within the world of the show. I think it's also worth noting from a purely production standpoint. I think that those references that you're catching and appreciating, um, which is a very difficult tone to catch. I agree with you on Coen Brothers. I think that when when Elliot first gets to the basketball court and he refers to the local arsonist and there's just some woman behind the bleachers and that that just felt like pure David Lynch wink yeah. to me. Um, I think that those those things are what you can get away with when you have one person directing the whole season. Because the one thing, you know, the thing that, that Sam has told me, and hopefully it came up last night on Hacking Robot. Um, <laughs> Is that he I'm loves really basketball. We don't know. 
he's just a, he's just a diehard fan of local pickup games of basketball. <laughs> is that he actually felt less stressed directing every episode of this season than he did last season because being a showrunner is a seven day a week insanity job anyway. But the thing that was hardest for him was giving up the control and the to the directors every week and then just basically waiting in the editing bay for footage to arrive that he would then have to assemble back into what he hoped was his vision. And the only thing, and he wasn't discrediting the directors. He had some really good TV directors last season, like Jim McKay was one of them. Um, But the only way that opportunity he had to explain what he wanted for his show was what he referred to as a one hour tone meeting. And I feel like that's such an oxymoron. You can't really have a tone meeting because tone is so specific to someone. So in the same way that, in the same way that everyone thought Fargo, the TV show, was a bad idea until they saw what, what Noah Hawley was doing with it and communicating with it, if he had sat down with whomever, I mean, an, any number of amazingly skilled television directors, and said, I want this to feel a little Coen Brothers, and I want this to feel a little David Lynch, and I want this to be a nod to Back to the Future, or whatever, and this, you know, and this rest of it should be like David Fincher, I doubt it would be subtle. You know what I mean? I doubt anyone else would be able to thread that needle because it was so personal. So I, that, that gives me a lot of optimism just for the filmmaking of the, of the season to come. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the last sort of act in the second part of the, the episode because mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you um, whether or not you felt like the dialogue between Christian Slater and Robbie Malik is sort of intentionally... I think it's intentionally ambiguous because it's happening, at least we're we're led to, you know, from what we understand after last season, it's happening inside of his own head, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But the the way in which he says and they talk about what do you think, what do you, what do they see when they see you coming or whatever the actual line is? Mm -hmm. How did you read that line? To me what he was basically saying was do you think they see this scared sensitive right potentially undiagnosed aspergersy innocent not that he is innocent but you know he's big eyes kind of skittish yeah exactly basically someone who seems harmless except maybe to himself or do they see this shark that that or this very aggressive character that christian slater is playing and it's a good piece of dialogue there because the episode is it's called unmasked it's talking about you know who people who who people are behind their mask or when they're wearing the mask but it also was essentially a a imageless callback to some of the scenes last season and there weren't many i don't i'm sure there's a whole thread on reddit about this but the scenes where we saw mr robot talking to characters without elliot present and there was definitely a tyrell christian slater scene um, it's pretty clear from within the timeline of this episode that Mr. Robot met with Ray, that's the character played by Craig Robinson, at some point on his own. So the question that remains for the season is, is basically who's driving the car and, and, who, and honestly, and who's more effective when he is driving the car? Yeah, I mean, so what, is, what are the questions? What, what do we sort of, do, what do you think that, because I one thing I would say about this first episode is that it doesn't necessarily set the table as much as I think I thought it might. Uh, that, that's a very sort of caveat-filled way of saying, like, like the episode, I couldn't right. tell you well, what's going to happen in I the second episode. There are a couple things at, at play here. Um, the big one, which I'm, which I was very encouraged by after watching this episode, is that you know the the hack happened. The world was drastically 
violently, although no no blood was shed, changed in the end of last season. And well, the blood was shed with, with Gideon, yeah. Right. Well, so, right, blood was shed in this episode. But I mean in terms of the, the, the keystroke that basically changed the world. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciate about the show is that the fallout is just excruciatingly slow and gradual and deliberate. And life appears to be going on, but it's just... It's just changing and changing and changing as it goes, as the, the, this new reality sinks in. So basically watching that shake out, while at the same time wondering why Philip Price was meeting with White Rose at the end of last season and why he seems to be letting this go on. Um, you know, there's a line in the Scenes from Next Week trailer, which we usually don't talk about, but there's a line with basically Darlene saying, we're alive because they want us to be alive. So it's really, yeah. it's, it's like the question we were asking with, with Mr. Robot and Elliot, like who's driving who here? And that, that's still the, the big, big one for me. And, and Elliot writes multiple times in his journal, control is an illusion, control is an illusion. Right. I mean, I, I th- obviously, right. they, thematically, I think I have, yeah, it, it was more just like, hi, I, you know, obviously Angela and her role at the company and whether or not she is completely over on the quote-unquote dark side or not is, is going to be a thing. But I was just sort of, it, it was unlike, it, it almost felt like a, a a Christmas special that a season would put out, a show would put out in between seasons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there, there are a couple other questions here and there too. Like what is, what is Ray up to? It's a new question, I guess. And, and like, you know, Mr. Robot was pretty keen on Xing out Gideon and Gideon pretty definitely got Xed out. Um, sidebar. I really wouldn't have minded that scene to be spliced into season two or three of house of cards. Um, I feel like that would have been a more interesting end to that president's to Garrett. To president's oh man, reign reign of errors. Um, but I think I'm glad you brought up the Angela stuff because I think that character got a lot of um, not, characters don't get flack, but that was not people's consensus. That was not the favorite plot line. But I really liked how committed. Oh, I love that plot line. Really? Did people not like that? I think not because she's also at this point almost spun off under her own show. But it's a pretty compelling. Um, situation that she's in and it's not one that we usually see on shows where she is you know so ripped apart and seeking validation and seeking someone to you know basically see competence in her you know I remember that scene with Terry Colby when she was in the meeting and he basically just destroyed her yeah um, leading up to her trying to get the lawsuit again and meeting with Colby and all the stuff that happened last year I, I think it's important to watch stuff like that because the one thing that that Sam has said, he said on the podcast with me, he said in many interviews, that the the thing that matters most to him about the show is the family drama and the emotional stakes, um, the small bore stuff that's happening in the midst of this global maelstrom. And, you know, I I think the one thing that's puzzled me, and I'm I'm definitely curious what you have to think about, what you think about this too, because as the show has come back, and there have been a lot of, of course it's gotten a lot of reviews, and they've been generally positive, but the one criticism that comes up from time to time is people being like oh well the political stuff is a little too pat it's a little too easy um for me i always thought that was kind of the point right i mean if anything this episode shows that that sam seems to be as skeptical of revolutions and revolutionaries as he is of corporations like it all seems a little bit rigged and a little bit uh, a little bit too facile in a way and yeah, the thing I, that i I like about the show is that it's about this guy who's so lonely he wrecks the world to get someone to pay attention to him or to, to or, or we don't even know why like that that's I, I think the way to watch the show is to start with Elliot and work outward not the other way around I also think it's fascinating or it, it, it's it's notable that Elliot's speeches about institutional state apparatuses and and 
the things we do to embalm ourselves from reality are delivered mm-hmm. at this incredibly flat affect like he barely believes it it's like he's repeating lines from the matrix you know um mm-hmm. and that he so he is in a way acting out this part in this constant cycle of renewal and then reestablishment of control protocols or whatever and i think that the show has a lot to say about that the hollowness of rebellion or at least the yeah the the trad the doomed the doomed nature of it yeah, the, or the, the the inevitability of revolutions to basically devour their own tail and eat their own young. Yeah, or becoming and, exactly what they rebel against, which is something that we yeah, see and, a lot. And as we say that, let's also say that the other thing that's fun about this is this, that, that this purportedly revolutionary show that leaks itself on Snapchat is is produced by, you know, NBC Universal, Comcast, like Shinehart Wig, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. And there's a, you know... It is much, and it, it it is in and of itself kind of distracting and narcotizing. And there's a there's a Jesus, there's an after show after it talking about it. You know, I mean, it's it's all part of what it is talking about, which makes it sort of fun. Um, and I do feel like I should add, you know, hopefully the events of last night didn't change any of this. But obviously, I am working on this after show, but my opinions remain my opinions regardless of what people think of it. I still am a fan of the show and would be regardless. Um, don't worry, I'll bring I'll bring the I'll, the heat. I haven't been you'll corrupted. Bring, <laughs> you'll bring the basketball hot takes, but also I'll be the F society so of this podcast from now on. <laughs> this, this, yeah, and I'm and, I, and I'm Philip Price. But this after show is only we're doing it twice. We're doing it um for the we, we did it. Sorry, timeline for the premiere, and we're doing it again for the finale. And uh, so you and I, you and I can just crash the boards the other nine weeks. It looks like it's going to be awesome, so I really want people to watch it. Let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk a little bit about another show that's coming back this week, Vice Principals. Hey, guys, just want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time, and it's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of these older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go when I look for tickets for a game or concert. I have so much stuff coming up. We got Adele. We got Beyonce coming. Uh, Guns N' Roses are playing Dodger Stadium. I just It's a... It's just a buffet of choices here in Los Angeles. I might go to FYF. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look for tickets for the Phillies coming to Dodger Stadium. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. With SeatGeek, you never have to waste time checking prices on other ticket sites. SeatGeek does that for you by pulling an all-available SeatGeek does that for you by pulling all the tickets available on other sites into one place. They just aggregate it right there. It's no stress. So you save time. You never miss a deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, the watch listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to Settings, and click add a promo code, enter promo code WATCH, that's W-A-T-C-H, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first purchase. How cool is that? Thanks, SeatGeek. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code WATCH today. Just want to say another note about our sponsor, Harry's. You got to stop compromising on your shave and get started with Harry's. For far too long, you've either paid too much for a comfortable shave or you've settled for a low price but low quality razor. Harry's offers something you've never had before, a great shave at a fair price. Harry's makes its own high-quality razor, 
cuts out the middleman and ships them directly to you for half the price of the leading brand. Good shave, good price. It's simple. You get the best of both with Harry's. I just shaved this morning with Harry's. I have this lovely kit that they sent, and it just... I, I can't even tell you how much uh, of a of a relief it is to know that I'm not going to have to go out and spend 25, 30 bucks to replace razors, blah, blah, blah. It's just like I feel like I actually have a personalized artisanal shaving experience almost. It's really great. I shaved with them this morning and it got the best shave I've had in a long time. Harry's blades are super sharp and they provide a close, comfortable shave. Plus, their moisturizing shaving cream smells amazing. Harry's makes just one razor with all you need for a close, comfortable shave. It's got five German-crafted blades, flex hinge, and a lubricating strip. Quality guaranteed and a full refund if you're not happy. Factory direct prices cut out the middleman, so there's no upcharges, and it's half the price of the leading brand. Harry's starter set, which is called the Truman, is a great option for new customers. It's what I have, and it's an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shaving cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the watch. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase when you visit harrys.com slash watch. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash watch. Go to harrys.com slash watch right now to redeem your offer and help support the show. Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. After we're done worrying about our FICO scores mm-hmm. and um, the state of of the like the radical left in America. Mm. We get to watch Vice Principals. Ugh. We get Danny McBride back in our life. I'm so um, happy. This is a show on HBO. It's coming back on it's on Sunday. It is going to be I think two seasons, 18 episodes. They've already shot the entire show apparently. Oh, I didn't even uh, this was a movie that. script that yeah, that Jody Mc, J- Jody Hill and Danny McBride who are two of the people largely responsible for one of Andy and I's favorite shows, Eastbound and Down. Um, they have had a movie script that they expanded into this story for HBO, um, and they have paired Danny McBride as another American asshole character <laughs> with another American asshole, Walton Goggins. These two are two of my favorite people. Um, I feel like I've been having this conversation a lot, and I now can't remember if I've actually had this on the podcast, but this idea of like whatever comfort television is, mm-hmm. whatever is the thing that you have an uncomplicated with just very little in de- like you have very little demands you just want nothing back from it but entertainment <laughs> mm-hmm. and warm light and some people like food shows and some people like reality shows and some people like network sitcoms uh i just unapologetically love danny mcbride comedy and i know that um there are problematic elements to what he does sometimes but Jesus Christ, like just having him back slap boxing with Walton Goggins was such a a, a, a nice little, little 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 thing to have this week. And uh, I, we got a chance to see a couple of the episodes, but it, it premieres on Sunday. It's not just to have him back slap boxing. It's to have him back cursing freely in front of children, which is a key <laughs> part, I think, of his enduring yeah. comedic appeal. Yeah. Um, I... I, you know, what's the line from Boogie Nights? Like, I just, I like, I like what I like. I like, I like popsicles in my mouth and butter in my ass, or whatever, whatever the Colonel says. Yeah. Um, I like Danny McBride comedies. I feel like he is one of those human beings, and I, I understand that some people are immune to his 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 many charms, but yes. he's one of those people that is just purely funny to me. Always, like Tracy Morgan or Bill Murray, where yeah, just, where he, he just says just the word to... "fuck," it's funny. Yeah, and it, it's and and I think it's worth noting how effortless it is for him to make me laugh because 
effortless is a word I would use to describe the show, at least in the early going. And you could take that as a, in a pejorative sense, or you could just roll with it. Like, do you want to? I feel like you should deliver the the text you sent me when you saw the first episode of this. <laughs> I think it was these guys definitely don't have a script, right? Yeah, I I, I mean they just clearly put on these costumes and told each other some things about their backstory and then commenced slapboxing and dropping F-bombs. And it's very silly. And it is not a show that has, like... The thing about Eastbound and Down that was amazing, in addition to everything, was that at the heart of it, it had a pretty compelling redemption arc. And it it was so ridiculous and so goofy. But the end, and I, I wrote about this back on Grandland, was weirdly moving in the way that it sort of took the 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 hero's journey and slapped it shirtless on the back of a water a jet ski um this show is not that and i'm actually very heartened to hear what you said i didn't even realize this that this was by design essentially a, a miniseries or a two-season miniseries because first of all if miniseries are in comedy miniseries is a very very good idea that's purely the british model that's what the why the british office was so good and so so brutal especially before um the star of that show started just making three-hour netflix movies to continue the ride yeah but this you can't make the case weirdly you could make a case for you spending down of like why the story had to be told or what was compelling about it or or or, you know being along for this journey the 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 saga of two idiots competing to be the principal of a school it's hard to make that case and i don't think anyone has to but it makes me happy to know that they are just going to be slap boxing for a finite amount of time yeah and then there's this, i love it the secret weapon in this show is definitely uh kimberly heber gregory uh, who plays dr melinda brown the principal who yes. comes in and takes the job in the first episode that that walton goggins and danny mcbride's there they both play vice principals who want to replace bill murray who, who is leaving for oh, yeah who's in the show who's leaving for for reasons you'll see uh, and they, they, this woman, but Dr. Belinda Brown is brought in and it, initially she seems like a very kind hearted woman and, and you, you learn that she is just as crazy as everybody else on the show. Um, it's just really, you know, it doesn't have, I think maybe the, the, the thing that was insane about Eastbound is that those guys would be like, what if we did a season in Mexico? And then they did, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was the world expansion pack that they threw on that thing was so crazy <laughs> that it made the first season and the later seasons feel bigger because of you just knew that there was stuff happening outside of the the camera's view. This feels fairly, mm-hmm. at least in what I've seen, it's going to be limited to this arena. Uh, I'll be, I mean, if they want to go to Mexico I'm, I, and open a school in Mexico, like let's do it. But uh, I don't know. It's just been so far. I've, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Summer comedies are are sort of in short supply, and I'm really happy to have this back. I I, I do want to just throw in a little bit of a plug for the surprise supporting performances, because I think everybody, no one would be surprised that Busy Phillips is on the show, and and, and she plays uh, Danny McBride's character's ex, and and she's as as good and as funny as anyone who has seen her on Freaks and Geeks or, or Cougar Town or whatever. Everyone, that's not a surprise. But... My man Shay Wiggum. Shows oh my up. god, dude! Did... And he's, he's so kind of funny. he's like a dude I thought was a knuckleballer suddenly comes out throwing like a Roldus Chapman hundred mile per hour. Heat. It's also such a great like, character because you think he's going to be like this adversary, and he just winds up being this guy who's like you seem like he's just a really really interesting character. 
he he's he he plays the uh B- busy phillips is, is danny mcbride's character's ex uh shay wiggum formerly of boardwalk empire plays her new her new man who is the target of much anger and ire and many swears and just takes them all genially because he's just kind of a nice guy and it's kind of great to see that actor in this role because the thing about that guy is he's always been pretty good he's good in everything that he's in this he is what they did with john hawks in, in eastbound too man yeah, you're right. It's it's a not dissimilar role, to be honest. But but to see a guy who is just like he was good in Silver Linings, to see a guy who's whose main claim to fame seems to be his ability to be a solid B, like you're never you're never gonna have a problem if this dude's in your cast, and then to let him just be just dial just turn the dial a little bit to weird is very much appreciated. He's also an HBO All Star because he he's on Boardwalk. He plays the preacher in the first season of True Detective. Could we do a, you know, the first piece I ever wrote for Grandland on, on launch day in June of, of 11 was about the, the HBO recycling program, about their, basically their deep bench of actors who appear on all their shows, like yeah. Michael K. Williams or, 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 or um, Aiden Gillum, um, who's also Littlefinger. But it's really, it's, it's almost as if they now are aware of, the, they were obviously always aware of it because of the, you know, they like working with people they like working with, but they really are steering into it now because Kevin Dunn, you know, had a very small part on True Detective, yep. very small part on Night Of, is, I do believe, delivering what might be the single best performance on TV on Veep. We, haven't even, we didn't even talk about Veep this year, but he is so insanely intergalactically funny on that show. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's wild. So I, I feel, can we just do like a, just like a, the watch documentary on those dudes? Yes. Those HBO dudes? Yeah. Because it's crazy. No, I know. <laughs> and the Night Of has a ton of those guys like, Bodie from the wires and the night of and yes yeah it's crazy all right well actually speaking of the night of i think we should probably we'll cut out some time on monday to chat a little bit about that we'll talk a little bit more about um vice peas and we'll come up with some other stuff to chat about it might i should warn our listeners and you you know i'm i'm coming to los angeles on monday i might watch some might watch some flicks on the plane you never know <laughs> and we might get to no man save person. it all for ghostbusters we, oh my god is he ghostbusters but if I do end up coming out, that might push us closer to Tuesday if we record live. So okay. I hope people can can bide their time. But thanks, we got, we got, thanks for TV's letting me back. know. We've got a lot to talk about. I know. All right, man. Good luck tonight. Uh, everybody watch Andy on Hacking Robot. Chris, I had to give you a heads up because last week and I was like, I'm out. And you're like, no problem, buddy. I got you. And then the next thing I know, there's like six ringers in for me. <laughs> literally. I know. What if it was like this time you came in and it was like me, Constant Zimmer, Roy Hibbert. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Dunn and Michael Kevin K. Dunn. Williams Bodie from The Wire yeah exactly <laughs> well I, look I'll be honest with you I would be hurt but I would also absolutely listen listen to that podcast so <laughs> good alright man until next time until you're out here uh, that's that's it for yeah. us today talk to you next week great job Ritzky peace <laughs>